sure y'all will give him one more chance. LOL. I swear I said he's gonna f up again. He can't help it. Now here we are. I made mistakes in my time. I learned from them. I don't think this is the first time this has happened in this house. But yeah, positive vibes, guys. And with that, welcome to the Stop It Show, where the news of the day is usually given just enough time, but sometimes not enough. If this is your first time stopping by. We thank you and get ready for something you won't find anywhere else. I'm John Franklin. I'm joined by the God Father of Fight Night Picks, Craig Allen. Craig, how are you? John, I'm well. Uh, I've grown a little bit of a terrible, terrible dirt beard here in the last week or so uh, because I'm involved in the biggest move of a young man's life. John, Fight Night Pick Studio is going to be no more in the next couple of weeks. We got a new house. We put out some videos. They were a little bit shorter than normal and people complained even still. So hopefully I can give them what they want here on this early Friday morning. I'm sure that you can, Craig. You always bring it on early stoppage. Let's Craig. go. It's my favorite show. I look forward to the show more than anything in my entire week. On this episode of Early Stoppage, we talk Derek Lewis for his hot wings, Dan Hooker's next fight, Johnny Walker's corner. But we begin, Craig, with Sean O'Malley's fight bookings. It seems like every week we have something new to talk about in this evening. Prodokamoto VSPN reported that former flyweight striker, Raleigh Ampava is set to be the next challenge. Now, from friend of the show, Alex Bahunin, MMA sleuth O'Malley said on his Twitch stream that I'm just seeing this right now. I have no idea what anyone is talking about. Greg, A, what happened to Brian Kelleher? And B, when will this guy fight next? Great questions, John. What happened to Brian Kelleher? Brian Kelleher tweeted out last night, and I quote, I wish I could tweet a month name and everyone just freaks the F out. Ready, guys? January. So Brian Kelleher's got a fight in January. Sean O'Malley's probably got a fight this year. And listen, if Brad Okamoto tweets it, is it is it written in law, John? I don't think it really is. But if Brett's going to go out of his way to tweet something, I expect it to be halfway true. And where there's smoke, there's fire. Howling Pive is a fun fight. He beat Kyler Phillips, one of your guys, one of your Arizona guys. And it was a really big surprise that he even won that fight. So for me, I think a fight like that against Sean O'Malley is a good fight. But man... Do people care about Howley and Piva? You said it was Rowlian. I don't think people <laughs> care about that fight. I really don't. So we've talked about it week in and week out. When can this guy get a fight that matters? I don't think a Howley and Piva fight moves the needle at all. Listen, for Christ's sake, I'm half a casual. I'm going to call the guy Rowley, and these things are going to happen, Greg. That's, what, that's why you're here. You're here to clean it up. You get to rile up the commenters, right? I do. They love it when I mispronounce names. Um, <laughs> you know what? They're going to love this even more. Um, is Sean O'Malley in the Marcus Brimage, Dennis Seaver part of his career? The reason why I ask that is, does it matter between Raleigh and Holly and Piva? Does it matter if it's Brian Keller? Or is this guy just like the Rolling Stones or the band I just saw, the Eagles, that he's just going out there to perform and everything else is sort of a, you know, a formality. Does it matter who his opponent is, Craig? Does it really matter? To me, it does. Damn it. It's still real to me. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'd like to see a little bit more. But what I can tell you if we move forward from it 
Dan Hooker schooled on Nazareth Hack Press this past weekend after both guys had a really rough ride getting to the cage. And listen, Dan was written off by plenty FNP fans in the comments section. Now he's taking RDA's spot against Islam Makachev at UFC 267. And that card is exactly a month away from today. So, John, the question I ask you, is this a great move putting this fight together or is it really a step too soon? You know, I... I... I don't think it's a step too soon. I think it's like a step too quick, maybe. Like, here's my issue. I'm in the business of asking questions when questions are asked of me tonight. So here's the question I'll pose to you. Who is the person that Habib Nurmagomedov says the next Habib Nurmagomedov? Hasbullah, the little guy on Instagram. I thought it was Makachev. Is it not? <laughs> I think it is too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so here's my question. If Habib is anywhere near correct, if he's 50% correct about Makachev, if he's 75% correct on Makachev, is that the kind of guy you take on short notice? I don't think so. So for me, I don't think it's a step too soon. I think it's a great move on his part in terms of if you take out Makachev, you're, you're taking out a boogeyman, right? We used to talk about a lot of guys this way. Um, the, the kid's name escapes me because he never fights. Who's the kid that looks like Abraham Lincoln? Give it to me. Never Zabit fights. Magomed Sharipov, he's all but retired. He's a boogeyman too. Makachev's a boogeyman. So if you're going to take a boogeyman out, you certainly get the feathers in your cap that come with it. But I just think you got to be a little smarter with this stuff. Shows a lot of confidence. I don't know if it shows a lot of brains. Where's all the hotness about Adriano Martins, John? Where is it? You tell me. Well, he's the one that knocked out Islam Makachev years ago. He's the only one that's beaten Islam Makachev. Where's all this Adriano Martins hype? I mean, you're a guy in your 40s. Adriano's a guy around his 40s. Where's the hype? It's right next to the kid that just got signed and knocked out Adesanya. Who's that? Oh, Alex Pereira? Yeah, I don't know about that. Yeah, I'm a little miffed on that one. But when I do look at this fight... We saw how that worked out. There's, there's, um, listen, I, I was right. I had, uh, what's his name there. Now that we're just sitting here grasping at straws and names, <laughs> um, I'll flip it back over to Makachev. We'll, we'll just, we'll focus on that one for just a second. I saw close. on Reddit, the underground whisper network, the fact that Tony Ferguson was rumored for this fight. I saw a few different names out there. Obviously there's plenty of lightweight contenders and guys that don't have fights, but to me, a Dan Hooker fight is fun. Uh, but Dan's going to struggle with the ground game, which normally you don't say. I mean, he's got good jujitsu, but against a guy like Makachev, I, I would have seen Makachev mopping the floor with RDA. I think it would have been a competitive fight for the first round, round and a half, and then the later stages, it was going to be all Makachev. I see Makachev winning this one off the hop, and I thought Hooker looked great this past weekend, and it's an interesting dynamic, too. I don't know if you saw this one on Twitter. There's a lot of fighters out of New Zealand that have kind of been forced to just stick around in the States. Brad Riddell, Jenna Fabian, a lot of fighters out of City Kickboxing. I think Dan Hooker is getting a good opportunity out of that circumstance. Obviously, unfortunate to see the way things are playing out there. Um, you know, I even heard Misha Serkinov kind of making some comments about the way things are here in Canada. And if I can even kind of comment on my own personal state right now, um, we reverted back. I think it was the night that you and I filmed the last episode of Early Stoppage. We went back to a, you know, a state of emergency, I think it's called in New Brunswick. Like it, COVID's bad right now where we're on that. So things are kind of shutting down, but it's just, it's, it's really um you know unfortunate that these men and women can't just travel back and forth to new zealand 
based on the way things are in the world. But for Dan Hooker, a good opportunity to get a, a big-time fight on a big-time pay-per-view card. Craig, we move on. Craig, I'm parked in front of the couch this weekend. Why? Tiago Santos is fighting Johnny Walker. Count me in. Let's go. Let's go. Oh. tweeted that Walker told him Michelle Perea would be in his corner this weekend and in a poster. Uh, posted a video of the two doing flips and jumps in the gym. Craig, I got two questions, actually. One, before we get to the big one, which is, are these guys a good mix to, to kind of be together in each other's lives? But the first question I want to know is, let me take you back to pre-pandemic MMA. How excited would you be to see Tiago Santos fighting Johnny Walker? Pandemic started when? March 2020? Yes, sir. When did Tiago Santos, and I should know this because I talked about this fight extensively. When did Tiago Santos fight Jones? That was like late 2018? No. I believe so, yeah. 19. 19. Had to have been 19. That ruined Tiago Santos' knees, and he has not looked the same in his following two fights. Uh, he hasn't looked anywhere the same in his last two fights. So, you got that, and then you had Johnny Walker that lost, what, three straight? Then he won a big one. Like, he's in a really odd spot. So, I look at this fight. I, I should have really had my numbers in front of me. You really threw me for a loop. But... When I look at this fight, it's just a whole lot of oddities. But the one certainty that a lot of people have been saying, especially in the comments section, they're 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 so enamored with this fight's going to get finished. And if you ask me about this fight pre-pandemic, yes, this would have been amazing. You know, Santos with all of his ligaments in his knee or not in front of a lot of fans. Now, it's going to be weird. I mean, who's going to be in attendance? Dana, Hunter. Machine Gun Kelly, Megan Fox, you know that. We know this. Travis Barker, Courtney Kardashian. How many more people can I name? Not a whole lot. I just, you're not going to get that same pop. It's going to be great when you're parked in Arizona in front of your couch. It's going to be great when I'm parked in front of my couch with my tiny TV and all the things that I moved into the new house. But I don't know. It's not the same. It's not the same for me. Well, Craig, we do nothing if not pick each other up, right? So here's the deal. The, the Jones fight happened. July. Pe people 6th, have to realize I've been doing full on renovations this week. I thought about these fights at the start. I do a recap at the end of the week. My brain is on autopilot. I'm here for you guys. I'm Thank here for you. you guys. I'm here for Craig. Um, listen, you don't have to answer to anybody, but Mrs. Allen, listen, July 6, 2019, he fought Jones. Then he lost to Teixeira. Then he lost to Alexander Rakic. Walker, you're talking about beating Ryan Spann. He lost to Anderson and Krylov before that. So I'm with you. Listen, he lost to Anderson in November of 2019. That was definitely pre-pandemic. So he'd lost a little bit of the shine. You know, beast in 25-8. Nothing wrong with losing to him. Or is there? So I don't know. I'm with you. I don't think Michelle Perea, in answer to the original question, I don't think Michelle Perea and uh, Johnny Walker um, are going to get much accomplished with all the bullshit they're going to be doing in the gym. But – Listen, if this is the world these guys live in and they can open up some weird technique to the other guy, maybe it works. I don't know. Stranger things have worked in MMA corners than haven't. I mean, listen, Mike Perry had his girlfriend, for Christ's sakes. Mark Coleman and Phil Baroni. And, I mean, it's going to be really weird when Johnny Walker has Michelle Pereira and John Cavanaugh trying to bark orders into his ear. But, John... We'll move on, and I like hot wings and hot sauce. You know this. I line up to watch hot ones every chance I get. I've shot Poirier's hot sauce not once, 
but twice for the Fight Night Picks fans. When I saw that Derek Lewis was on the program today, I had to catch it. So it was recently announced Fight Night headliner against Chris Dawkins. That was like today that that was announced. They didn't really talk about it in the episode. They did put it in their description. Is this fight going to grow even hotter with the guest spot of Derek Lewis on Hot Ones? Absolutely. I mean, I, I that show is massive. That show is massive. And, and I think that Derek Lewis is going to be a home run on that show. If ever there were a show that was tailor-made for Derek Lewis, it's Hot Ones. It, 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 it combines everything that's great about Derek Lewis into one thing. A candid interview, eating hot. I mean, listen, the only thing that would make it better, and I really hope Derek Lewis does this, bring a damn bucket of Popeye's chicken in there and dump the hot sauce on that shit too. Eat the wings and the chicken. Fuck it. I mean, just go for it. I think that this fight is going to be massive. I will only give one caveat, and I will only couch it in one way. And I hate when people do this, and here I am. But um, I thought that Derek Lewis was going to be huge before. Now, this is really the first mainstream integration into his life. So that does change things. But there were times when I was like, dude, this guy, that was the thing that was going to skyrocket him. And it just never crystallized. But I think this is different. Let's dive into that. What singular, like my balls was hot, but before that. No, that was the yeah. thing. I thought that no. Rogan. No. I thought, the Ro I thought the Rogan bump. Let me ask you a question. Let's be honest here. What's a bigger deal, being on Joe Rogan or being on Hot Ones? No, oh, Rogan, 100%. So if he's been on Rogan, then why would, why would Hot Ones be more? I think it's a it, different audience. It's like a re-up. You know, you need a little bit of a boost. And I yeah, think that's and it's a great a different boost. audience. I think that's, that's it. Good, good boost heading. And exactly uh, a different audience. But I just wanted to go back. I, and this is, you know, 100% biased on my part. The first UFC event I ever went to was in early 2017. UFC fight night, Brown versus Lewis. And when Derek Lewis ends Travis Brown... And when Mario Yamasaki can't find his hotel along with Keith Peterson has to turn around and ask Craig Allen and friends, hey, where's the Delta? When all that happens, Derek Lewis in the post fight did the old where's Ronda's fine ass at. And when he was backstage doing the interview with what was it Fox at the time? Yeah, he had like the tiny little UFC belt around his shoulder like he really popped in that one. And I think that really you know, again, bias aside, I think that did kind of get him into more of the mainstream doing all that kind of stuff. And then it was the my balls was hot. And then it was so on and so forth. He ended up getting a title shot. But I'm in agreement here. I think this is a huge bump. I don't know what it did for Kamaru Usman after he was on that show. But man, it's great to see UFC fighters. Usman's been on there. Rousey was on there. Poirier, Lewis. It's cool to see. Like, you don't see, I don't know, like Lionel Messi or baseball player mike trout you don't see conor mcdavid on this show i've seen four three current ufc fighters four by proxy so uh, i think it's awesome like it's really cool i think it's awesome too i think that he's here's the here's the difference poirier goes on something like that and he represents himself well he gives himself a little bit of a bump that's one thing but Derek Lewis goes on there, and he is a meme and GIF generator. That guy can say some things on there that are going to turn into things that people tweet at each other, people 
post on Twitter. Like it's just a different thing altogether. Spoiler. A meme was a question. Like Sean asked him about his memes. So yeah, it was, it was great. If, if people haven't checked it out yet, John, if you haven't checked it out, check it out. It, it really is good. Yeah. All right. And we move on, Craig. Let's talk Laura Murphy, 2020 fight night picks fighter of the year. Um, Listen, she gets the title shot that she's been wanting forever, and you know, in the in the category, if I had no if I had no bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. She loses her uh, head coach before the fight to COVID protocols. I'm going to read you some of her um, her quotes because it brings up a more interesting question, which we'll get to in a second. Okay, this is Lauren Murphy speaking to uh, I think I'm fighting. Man, that sucked because I've worked him with him so closely throughout the camp. He's the guy that does all the game planning, and I was 9-0 hitting into this fight with Alex in my corner. When we found out he tested positive, the UFC quarantined him and made him leave the fighter hotel and that he couldn't corner me on Saturday. At first, we were thinking we, we'd just pull out of the fight. I was like, I need to have my head coach there. I don't know. We just end up deciding not to. I was healthy. I didn't have any injuries. I wasn't sick. The odds of me showing up to a title fight being in that good of health probably weren't good. And I thought if I pull out of the fight, what would happen? They'd probably put Cynthia Calvillo in, in because Valentina would still want to fight. Then I'd probably find another, another number one contender fight just to get back to the title again. So here's the question, Craig. Not does it suck for Lauren Murphy, because obviously it does. The question is, when you are put in that position, the old thing of do you fight healthy or not? This is a different situation. She's healthy, but doesn't. she's not at full capacity because her coach is out. She's right. They put Calvillo in there potentially, and then she's back. She falls back to the line. How do is there a way to handle this, or is it just kind of tough shit? 2020 Fight Night Picks Female Fighter of the Year, Lucky Lauren Murphy picked up a good win by split decision over Joanne Calderwood to earn this opportunity, and it was well deserved. A lot of people in the comments section were upset about it. A lot of people on social media were upset about it. Lauren Murphy was a huge underdog in this fight. Valentina was somewhere around, what, minus 1,800 favorite? Like, the line was absolutely ridiculous. But you had Bob Perez in your corner. You had your husband in your corner. Like, it's just tough for me to try and justify having, you know, another coach in the corner when it's already a title fight. You already have so many different voices there. And I know a head coach probably would have made a big amount of difference. And John, you watched that fight. I watched that fight. I was on the fight companion. Everybody could see me there. Murphy was tentative. Murphy didn't really look like yourself. And yeah, it's probably like trying to fight in a mirror or in a phone booth. When you're against Valentina Shevchenko, it's tough to figure out. And I'm sure that was a little bit of it. It's a shame that her head coach wasn't in there. But yeah, I mean, great that she was candid after the fight. Great that she said these things. But at the same time, she's 38. You're not getting any younger fight-wise. It's probably her only title opportunity of the rest of her career. So I don't really have a good answer to the question. It's just, it's kind of a shame. I, I don't know what would have happened if she had a, a corner in there or her head coach in there. But I'm sure a lot of people would probably say, you know, it probably wouldn't have made a lot of difference. I don't know what kind of a difference it would have made. I'm with you. I, I think that the, the the good analogy here would be like, let's use the New York Giants for an example, right? They have Jason Garrett as our offensive coordinator. He's been a head coach before. I mean, if Joe Judge got sick on a Sunday and you had to put Jason Garrett in there, I mean, if you're the Giants, well, how could you possibly win without Joe Judge? I mean, oh, they haven't won any games. What so about the Giants the last year? 
when huh? they went to Cleveland, they had to put Freddie Kitchens in. Freddie Kitchens? Jesus Ugh. Christ. Anyway, listen, I'm with you, Greg. I, I don't know that it would have made a ton of difference because Valentina Shevchenko is one for the ages. And I don't know if Lauren Murphy is. So Shevchenko is, you know, she's going to get chiseled into stone someday. There's going to be a bust of her whenever they decide to get smart and open up fitting UFC Hall of Fame in Las Vegas. They certainly have the room. Um, then she'll be in it. So I think that for me, I'm with Lauren Murphy, I understand that it could be – I guess my question to her would be, would you rather have your health or would you rather have your coach? You've, I mean, obviously you want to have both. But if you had to choose, I'd take the health. You had the health. You got to make the best of what uh, situation you have. All right, John. We'll move forward in the main event of UFC 266. Alexander Volkanovsky defended his title against Brian Ortega after being in big trouble, not once, but twice. After the fight, Conor McGregor and Henry Cejudo, they were both looking to challenge for that featherweight belt. So, John, A, what's next for Alexander Volkanovsky? And B, is it Cejudo? Is it Conor? And how deep was that choke? Well, listen, I'll defer to Alexander Volkanovsky because he was in it. He said it was, fuck, I'm about to lose this belt deep. So, yeah, that choke was plenty deep. Uh, and, and just so you know, fans, for the comments, uh, I made a choice there to not try and give you a horrible New Zealand or Australian accent. I just yeah, I want to hear your Canadian, good old your John French Canadian accent again. Yeah, from no. last weekend. After I got butchered, after I butchered that French Canadian, I'm done with accents. Um, listen, I think that if you're Volkanovsky, it's a good problem to have, right? Do you go with McGregor? Do you go with Cejudo? I think that um, that's a tough one. I think McGregor is reeling a little bit. I definitely would like a bit if he's got one eye on 170 and one eye on 155 and hasn't made 145 in forever. I think he's the guy. I'd like to think that you know Henry Cejudo is training with uh, who's my guy? It escapes me. Uh, he's brought somebody into his camp, right? Who's who's Cejudo training with? Santino DeFranco. No, I mean who's who's training with him? Who's coming to his camp? All sorts of people. Great I'll question. It, no, it was a big. It was a big guy. I can't remember who it was. Anyway, he. I think that he's staying in the gym, and I say I think that he's staying fit and ready when he's not making podcasts with the schmo. I think that he's probably fit. He's probably ready. Although he does seem like a guy who might fall off when he's when he's falling off. Um, if I was Volkanovski, I think that I would choose Connor. Who would you choose? If I'm Volkanovski, I take the winner of Yair Rodriguez and Max Holloway, but that's a curse fight. That's like Habib and Tony Ferguson. That I like take on the legit comers. Volkanovski to me feels like a guy that just cleans out a division because he's so good. He's he's a step ahead of everybody. He's so well rounded. He's so durable too. Like that's just to me what he feels like. He's a guy that's so overlooked by Aldo and Holloway, and to an extent, McGregor's one fight. Yeah, okay, the Mendez fight and then the Aldo fight. But he's got to prove it to everybody how good he is, so he just has to continue to rack up wins. Davison Figueredo is the guy who's going yes, to Yes, that's it. With that was an MMA fighting today. You're right. So speaking of belts, Craig, we move on to sparring sessions. Uh, Corey Sondhagen, Sandhagen, David Sondhagen, lost to TJ Dillashaw, and yet... He's going to fight for an inner belt against Petrion because Aljamain Sterling. Listen, I, I got to say this at this point. 
if Aljamain Sterling is is trolling Piotr Jan through this whole process, and I know I just changed the pronunciation of his first name in the middle of the segment, but that's neither here nor there. If he's trolling him through this whole thing and just doesn't want to give him a title shot, first of all, it's brilliant. But second of all, at some point, he's got to meet the guy eventually. But anyway, so the question is for sparring sessions this week, Craig, what does an interim belt mean anymore? I mean, I got belts. I got belts all over this room. Do they mean more than the interim belt right now? John, I don't know if anybody in the Fight and Apex universe has a connection to Drew Carey. I mean, the only connection I have to Drew Carey is these glasses. That's about it. That's the closest I get. Brilliant. Um, and the reason I asked that, you know, whose line is it anyway? Do the points even matter at this point? An interim title belt to me means absolutely nothing in 2021 because Sandhagen lost to Dillashaw, who deserves a shot up there. But Dillashaw's knee is injured, so he doesn't get the fight. It's just like Devison Figueredo fighting uh, for the belt again against Brandon Moreno. Is that the fight that should make sense at 125? No, Pantoja deserves it, but he's hurt, so Figueredo gets the trilogy. Then we look up at heavyweight. Well, Cyril Gaon just beat a guy that we talked about who's on Hot Ones. Why isn't Cyril Gaon on Hot Ones? Why is Derek Lewis there? <laughs> that's a that's a big question. That's a meta question. But to answer my own question, Gaon wins the fight handily. So when's he going to fight for the real belt against Ngannou? You know, I don't know when he's going to fight for the real belt, but I know that he's... Will he, he, though? Will he even fight for it? He might not. But, I mean, listen, sometimes, let me be honest with you. Sometimes I feel like it's better to have the interim belt than it is to have the real belt because they stripped the real belt. When's the last time you saw somebody get their interim belt stripped? They usually get the shot. You know what I mean? They usually get the shot. As not long Tony as they got Ferguson. That. Not Tony Ferguson. But usually they do. That's that's some other stuff. But he, I mean, he had injuries and stuff like that. So yeah, Ferguson lost the interim belt. Most guys that get the interim belt, it's uh, uh, a negotiating ploy to get the actual champion to come to the table right you say the actual champion we don't need you we got this guy he drew as much as you did in the main event he's got the interim belt around you want to fuck around we'll just give him the real one and you know you can go on your way so um i think i i do think they matter but i understand that when you throw them around like they're throwing them around and they're giving the shots to guys who are undeserving listen they're okay Marcellus Wiley said this a long time ago, and I'll repeat it. The best ability is availability. So if you're available for the fight when the fight's being made, that's how you back your way into a fight that you don't belong in. So, yeah, guys, the hookers taking it. All these guys are taking fights that maybe they shouldn't because they're available and healthy when the fight comes up. John, what you said parlays us perfectly into our next segment and for all the listeners out there spotify itunes rate and review on youtube toss a like toss a sub because this is where the show gets sticky and this is where john gets really really nervous the heartbeat goes up his face gets as red as his shirt he hates hitting the speed bag but it's my favorite part of the show and if you missed this featured segment before i'm glad you're catching it right now because this is rapid fire questions john has no idea about I asked them nearly as quickly as I possibly can. John, are you ready? You think I'm afraid of you, man? Are you crazy in your head? You think I'm afraid of you? And you think I'm afraid of hitting the speed bag? Are you crazy in your head, man? I'm not afraid. You'll see. You'll see how afraid of you I am. Pudgy two. 
All right, John. This one has a theme, and I will start the timer after I ask the first question. Nick Diaz wasn't able to get the win last weekend against Robbie Lawler at UFC 266, but hey, he made weight, he made the fight, and it happened. If I gave you every cent I have in my pocket, a team of world-class trainers and sparring partners, how many weeks would it take you to hit 185 pounds and step into the cage? Ooh, that's a good question. Um... It would take me a month to hit. I'm I'm right at 185 pounds. To step in the cage would be a different story, but um, I could make 185 pounds tomorrow. Give me a number of weeks. Um, I would want two months of a training camp before I took a fight. Parlay that forward. You sign a deal with a regional promotion at 185 pounds, and your manager offers you a snack food sponsor that you have to consume for every meal of every day for the number of weeks that it takes you to step into the cage. So for eight weeks, (laughs) what are you going with and why? Um, I am going with a snack food cake. I'm going with something that I can eat for breakfast so that I could burn it off by the end of the day. So I would probably go with like a honey bun or something. I was going to say like, you know, like a beef jerky or like a pizza. Oh, I just found out that every morning, uh, uh, Nick Saban eats like two little Debbie oatmeal or moon pies. That's what I, something like that. Two little, little Debbie oatmeal cakes. Every morning, there's a halo hanging from the corner of my girlfriend's four-post bed. I love that song. Trunks and shorts are going to be important in your creative player fight kit, John. So what style of upper leg covers are you rocking in the cage? Muay Thai. That's a good choice. Walkout songs are important, and we've talked about them before on this channel. So here's the challenge, and this is the last question. I give you three choices. You pick one. First choice, Gimme, Gimme, Gimme by ABBA. Never Say Goodbye by Bon Jovi from the album Slippery When Wet. Or How You Remind Me by Nickelback. Um, in terms of which song I like the most, it would be Never Say Goodbye. But there's something about coming out to Nickelback uh, that that really uh, lets somebody know that you mean business. I go with that because it gets the, the place bumping. All right, John, you're ready to go. Good luck. Make the fran- fans proud. That might be my favorite hitting speed bag ever. That was well thought out, well put together. Good job by Craig Allen. And next Let's week, get into it. Next time we do early stoppage, it won't be next week, but next time we do early stoppage, you can bet your sweet ass I'll be asking you the same questions. All right, Craig, let's move on to For the Gram. Uh, you mentioned it, so let's really get into it, um, which is interesting because typically we do For the Gram a little inside baseball. For the Gram, one Twitter hitter and posting the book based on the fans who engage in each type of social media and what they would like. The only person, one of the only people, who really has relevance on all forms of those social medias is Nick Diaz. He could have been a one Twitter hitter. He could have been a posting in the book. We're doing him in For the Gram. Some people are saying, Dana said it, a few others, that Nick looked good. Um, Give me an honest assessment of Nick Diaz. I mean, we're probably not going to see him for another six years, so it doesn't matter. But what did you think? Did you think that, was he better than you thought he would be? Give me your honest assessment. At the start of the week, I did the prediction preview and thought Nick Diaz is going to win. I liked everything I heard out of him on the countdown uh, because, you know, that's an opportunity to speak in front of a camera. But if there's not a lot of pressure, it's a ways out from the fight. Loved it. He sounded articulate. Everything looked good. He ran a little weird. Did you watch him run? They were like short little steps and he had his arms going like an old woman doing Nordic walking. But hey, that's a way to preserve the joints. And listen, 
everything looked good to me. I picked Nick Diaz, Matt picked Nick Diaz. And then as the week went along, and you know what upset me? is fans going, it's gamesmanship to move a fight to middleweight. It's not gamesmanship. It's chicken shit. That's exactly what that is. That's stupid. It's not It's not cute. It's not tee-hee. It's dumb. However, by the end of the week, I went, you know what? Robbie Lawler's got this one. And why? Because this guy just doesn't look like he wants to be there. And I know he's saying it, but just everything, it was red flag after red flag after red flag. And I never usually look into stuff like that that much, but it was enough for me to sway the pick. And then the fight happened. I thought Nick Diaz still looked pretty good, didn't you? Yeah. Like, he looked good. And Matt said in the fight companion, if Nick Diaz quit right there, it still leaves the door open to another fight. It still leaves the door open to, hey, well, I look pretty good, but listen, I just didn't have it, or this happened, or that happened, or if this didn't happen, or whatever. There's so many different ways that you can play it. It's just like when Nate fought Leon Edwards and got the crap kicked out of him for four rounds, but in the fifth round, he rallied back, and he could say, hey, I almost won that fight. So Nick still has kind of a leg to stand on to make another fight. So to me, I thought he didn't look that bad. I'm with you. I agree with everything you said. All right, let's move on to one Twitter hitter. Craig, Kevin Holland said at Media Day he's planning a test cut to 170. So why fight Doc is at 185 pounds this weekend? What's the point? Honestly, don't know. Really don't like that he said that. Well, I'll say this. Um, Kevin Holland is positioning himself to be one of those rare fighters. Dan Henderson was it. Uh, Mo Lawal was it. A few guys. It's a money weight fighter. It's a guy that shows Machida. That he can fight. Leota Machida. Um, but a guy that can fight depending on the offer. Not And, and listen, I'm with you, Machida. Anderson. Machida, well, those guys made decisions to go to different weight classes. I'm talking about a guy that says – What's the best fight for me? I'm going to go to that weight class. I think Holland understands that he doesn't have as much relevance at 185 as he would want. So 170 makes him like, okay, now I get I get tossed into the underground whisper network in two divisions. And I think that um, that's smart on his part. You know what fight I'd love to see? I Just before we move forward, and I'm dead serious because it's the guy that was at 70 and now he's at 85, and he's really on a downturn. Wouldn't Kevin Holland, Darren Till be fun? It would. That would be a good fight. Be a fun one. What about what about <laughs> Kevin Holland and Kamzat Shemaev? No. All right. He gets smashed. Craig, we move on to posting to the book. Uh, Manny Pacquiao made it official. He's retiring uh, for boxing. So what's Manny Pacquiao's legacy to you? And I'll tell you, as a guy much older than you, what Manny Pacquiao's legacy to me is. I'm going to answer this question in shoes. Carlos Newton doesn't get talked about enough. I don't know why. He just doesn't. First Canadian UFC champion. I've got the sign flag here. I've got another Jordan with the fight night picks, the pop and popcorn. John, why do I show you all this? Because Manny Pacquiao had or has a Nike deal. And I would love to get my paws on a pair of Nike Pacquiao trainers. I'd love it. Look them up. They're pretty cool. Uh, But Manny Pacquiao's legacy to me, and I'm going to have a totally different answer than you, because I wasn't a giant boxing fan when Manny Pacquiao was in his prime. I'm getting into it more now. But I will tell you this story. When I was in university, there was a group of friends that I had that I would hang out with once in a blue moon through a, a friend that I hung out with a lot. 
all that to say, that Pacquiao Mayweather fight was appointment viewing TV. We packed a crappy apartment place. Beers were flowing. Tempers were flaring. People thought they knew everything there was to know about boxing. But I had an awesome time. So thanks to Manny Pacquiao. Because that's that's the legacy to me. Was that fight and me putting like 100 bucks on Pacquiao to win. And then all of a sudden he's got a bum shoulder. And that was the fight. You know, I think Manny Pacquiao's legacy, unfortunately, will always be the fact that he fought Floyd Mayweather when he was not in his prime. Um, and, and he allowed he allowed Mayweather to negotiate him in a position to take it. You know, Mayweather, better than any fighter ever, has always fought guys at the time that it was most advantageous for Mayweather to fight them. He fought De La Hoya late. He fought Gotti late. He fought Canelo early. He fought Pacquiao late, right? Just those people alone were the career definers, right? Those were the ones that were the career definers. So I think that's going to be Pacquiao's legacy. What gets lost in all this? Because forever, what Pacquiao was, was this guy who was kind of like, if you were really into boxing, you knew Pacquiao. Because because when, when I was a kid, right, when I was your age, um, we used to, the, the, the fights that my, me and my buddies got up for were Eric Morales and Marco Antonio Barrera. When those two guys fought, the fights were amazing. They both fought Pacquiao. And both of those guys are who put Pacquiao into the mainstream because they had great fights against each other. They fought Pacquiao, Pacquiao won, and then he went on to fight like, you know, Cotto and all these guys. The, the true legacy of what Manny Pacquiao should be is the fact that I think the number is he's won 12 titles over like 10 weight classes or something like that from like 110 pounds to 154 pounds, which is crazy. It's crazy to go from that light to that heavy and be able to still hold your own. So that's his real legacy. But unfortunately, the fact that he probably would have beat Floyd Mayweather in his prime because he did the one thing that no one ever did to Floyd, which was he was able to rush guys and put a lot of volume on them. And in his prime, he could do that. Later in his career, not as much. The real inside baseball, I wrote it, you read it, but I really wanted to get your answer on it. <laughs> All right, Craig, we move on to the thing you've been waiting for. Listen, guys, no. I'm going to give you some, some, some inside baseball seems to be the theme of the night, so let's keep with it. Um, listen, Craig's not thrilled about this John Jones story. Neither am I. But I wanted to talk about it for a very important reason. And I've kind of tiptoed around it last week. And I'm not, I'm not prepared to tiptoe anymore. It's time to have the conversation. Here it is. The details were released about kind of what happened. I have it in uh, the show notes, Craig, if you haven't seen it. Um, but I'm going to read over some of the things. Okay, so as per TMZ, here's the details of John Jones's arrest. The, the longer form of this is much more disturbing, but here's the details. Cops are called to a room in Caesar's Palace for a domestic disturbance. Jones's fiance went to the hotel lobby at 4.30 a.m. to get a new key. A security guard asked her if she was okay, and she started to cry and said she was scared to go back to the room. Police found her bleeding from her nose and mouth. Jones allegedly pulled his fiance's hair and headbutted the police car. Jones threatened to sue the police department for arresting him on the biggest night of his career. Jones joked about fighting all the cops at the same time. Now, it, it, it goes on to say, this is where it gets kind of disturbing. His fiance, whose name is, her first name is Jessie. I'm not sure of her last name. But she goes on to say, um, the reason why my lips are bloody is because it's dry. 
And then the cops noticed blood on her shirt. The lips were swollen. Jones, um, she was concerned about whether or not he would be released from jail. You know, stuff like her being concerned, scared to return to her room. Her, the guard said that uh, Jesse and John Jungus' child said, can you call the cops? When your children are asking for the cops to be called on their father. Um, listen, I, I, I tiptoed around this. I'm going to say it now. In the comments last week, people said that they think that John Jones has Daryl Strawberry vibes. I don't think he has Daryl Strawberry vibes. I think he has O.J. Simpson vibes. And here's the reason why I think he has O.J. Simpson vibes. Because he's Daryl Strawberry's career was submarined by his behavior. If John Jones never fought again, he's the greatest fighter of all time. When O.J. Simpson retired, he was the greatest running back of all time. And there is a public perception, although we see a little bit more about John's personal life than we do O.J.'s, that John is kind of this guy who yeah, he has some demons, but he's pretty an okay guy, right? We know he's not perfect like we thought about OJ, but he's pretty a perfect, you know, he's got, he's, he's, we think that hey, he's got some demons, but he's okay. Headbutting a police car, resisting arrest, your fiance and your young child saying, asking a guard to call the cops on you. This looks horrible. And this looks like the sort of breadcrumbs that existed with OJ Simpson before he did what he did. Now, I, I know that it's always tough to label a player with, or any kind of athlete with the OJ Simpson label, but guess what? It was even tougher to label OJ Simpson with it before he did what he did. So I really think that, that there needs to be some serious, serious intervention in this man's life. I don't know enough about that. You know, and, and as a sports fan, I should. And as a person, I should. I haven't watched any of those shows. I haven't gone back and done the deep dives. I don't know. It's just, it's something I've never done. I didn't grow up in that. I did. You know, I was born in 94. So I guess, you know, I kind of did grow up in that era. But I've never gone back and done the, the deep dive. But what I can say, John, and I've talked about it in the past. And, you know, I used to be really proud of it. And now I'm not. Because um, sometimes you take the media hat off and... We talk about it often and I talk about it in the shows often. Like what got you guys into MMA? And, you know, I say when I was in middle school, Leota Machida, Shogun. And then I kind of go on and I'll go, and John Jones. I don't say it much anymore. Like I really don't. But honest to goodness, you know, we get excited about Chuck Liddell. We get excited about GSP. We get excited about all these fighters. But me, it was me, Matt, my friend Corey, he was a year younger than me. And his brother Colton, who was a year younger than my brother, the four of us would go between houses and we watch pay-per-views and we watch cards. It was just about every single Saturday. We play the video games. But really, as like young kids, teenagers, you got John Jones, a young fighter. You know, he's making this meteoric rise. He's beating all these legends. He's really starting his career. We latched onto that. We were so excited about that. And then when I when I really look into everything that's happened here, it, it really hurts. Like you were attached, you were on that ride, you were excited for all of that. And now to see what's happened in, in John Jones' personal life, and it you know, it's it's obviously made to the forefront. We're talking about it. It's a shame. It's just we talked about this last week to open the show. It's unfortunate to see what's happened in his personal life, and it seems like it happens again and again and again and again. You have to think that behind the scenes, there's been some intervention by manager, by promotion, by friends, by family. 
I don't know what has to happen to right these wrongs, but man, it just, you know, and you, you opened it. You said like, you know, we, we don't want to talk about it, but we have to talk about it. I just don't know what there is that I can say on the subject that, that, you know, that changes anything. There's nothing I can say. I, you know, I run a small MMA organization. I try my best. I try to, you know, put my best foot forward on the weekend. I try to be happy. I try to, you know, make things positive, but there's nothing positive that I can say about this because it truly does, you know, from an MMA fan perspective, from a kid that grew up watching John Jones, it hurts my feelings. If this was, you know, uh, when we said this too, if this was a baseball player, if this is a hockey player, like you can kind of separate things. You can kind of look at it a different way. If it happened in the eighties, if it happened in the nineties, this is happening right now. And it's just a shame that we haven't seen steps to kind of write it. Every time John goes out there to fight, it's like, there's a different story attached. Like, They'll put it in a countdown. He's out there at Christmas time buying toys for the less fortunate. You might remember that one, right? I think it was like a Walmart or Target. And he's just grabbing everything and throwing it into the cart. Or he's past that. Or he shaves his head and he has like the little goatee. And things are different this time. I I don't know how many times they need to see that. Like, I wish the guy would get some help. I wish he would get out of his own way. I don't know. You know, we see these awful things happen. That awful thing shouldn't have to happen to make things better, but I don't know what has to happen to make things better. Just from a kid that grew up watching it, it really just hurts. It really does. Well, and I'm not thing. better than anybody else, but like, it just, it does hurt. You know, at the end of the day, when I sit there and think about it, it, it makes me sad. It really does. Well, I'll say, I'll say two things to kind of get out of this. I think that, you know, one thing is that, you know, there are people that, that traditionally MMA fans don't like right? Like Colby Covington, or we'll use Tito Ortiz as the example here. If you found out that Tito Ortiz did something like really horrible, like, like committed murder or something along those lines, right? Uh, you know, because people don't like him, they'd be, okay. they'd be like, oh, okay, I kind of knew it. He was always a dick or whatever, you know, but Tito Ortiz doesn't display the type of behavior that John Jones displays. And I think that we want so desperately to like John because he's such a good athlete. We want John to be the next like GSP and Anderson, these guys that are really, really great. And we like them. And we expected John to be the next guy. And he's, he's really not that guy. He's really not a likable guy. And, and it sucks that he's not a likable guy, but it's not our fault. He's not a likable guy. It's his fault. He's not a likable guy. So I think that we need to just deal with this guy as he is and not as we want him to be. And I think that's, the problem is, here's the real problem for me, is that everything that happened with O.J. Simpson, you know, a lot of the things that he did have been getting swept under the rug, and he never had the big event that you would think would stop him from being a maniac. John Jones has had that event. John Jones lost two years of his career already. Like, everything was taken from this guy. And, yeah, he hasn't done the kind of real time that sometimes people Tyson need, straighten themselves out. He hasn't done that kind of time. But still, I mean, he lost a big part of his career because of poor decisions and yet seems still willing to make them. So to me, that means there's something deeper involved. There's, there's never going to be a rock bottom, right? Like you don't know, they, they say about addicts, you don't know rock bottom until you really hit it. I don't know that he's really hit rock bottom yet. And that it might need, everything might need to be stripped from him where he's just an inmate. And that might be the thing. And I hope Honestly, I hope that happens before 
a huge incident. Like, I hope he goes to jail for like a three strikes kind of thing and not for doing something really, really horrible. I just, you know, I don't know. I mean, you wish nothing but the best for somebody, especially, and not, again, not that anybody's more important than anybody else, but just the guy has so much talent. We know how much talent he has. He's in the UFC Hall of Fame. He wouldn't have talent if he's not there, right? But you just wish that things turn around, and it just, they just haven't seemed to. We went through the list of all the different transgressions last week, and it's just, it just continues to go on and on and on. It's, it's such a shame. It really is. I agree with everything you said, except for the last part. We'll get out of here on this. Sometimes with people, folks, you have to say to yourself, if I remove their job from them, how much of a scumbag would I think they are? If you took everything that John Jones ever has done in an octagon, how much of a scumbag would you think he is? And that's who he really is. Because the octagon doesn't make you a good person. What you do outside of it does. So, And we move on. Craig, finish strong. I got some fights. I'll get your quick thoughts on them. You can tell me what you think. We got uh, Cub Swanson and Darren Elkins. I'm all for it. I mean, that's a that's a good prelim for 12 in the afternoon, right? Pedro Munoz, Dominic Cruz. I thought Pedro, the talk was that he was moving to 125. So it's a good fight. I'm all for it. Scramble City, but it's still a weird one. Couple of Vieta's. Rodolfo's fighting Wellington Terman. Ketlin's fighting Misha Tate. Adolfo mows over Wellington, and I'm back on that train. And Ketlin, eh, she's got a tough fight with Misha Tate. Can I throw one in there? I'm looking at one right now. It's a guy whose name evaded me earlier, and then now I see his picture, and I go, that fight doesn't make any sense. Joel Alvarez, Joel Alvarez, is going to fight Tiago Moises. Why? Why? Your guess is as good as mine. He beat Um, Joe Duffy. That was why. Last thing for um, for finish strong. Dave Feldman came out and said he'd love to have Paige Van Zant back for another BKFC fight, but it's up in the air. Um, what do you think? I mean, do you think that they're uh, uh, is that Paige's only play? Oh, it's definitely not her only play, and it's not like she's been winning a lot with them, but it definitely attracts eyes for them. But I don't know, I. I you know, I, I've talked about it before. I was in that bare knuckle contingent right at the start for BKFC one and two and WBKFF. And then I just like, it was a, it wasn't a nosedive. It was like, you know, off a cliff. Like I, I haven't paid much attention to it at all. Did they, did they must need her if, if he's, if he's saying that, right? So. Oh, they definitely need her. All right, Craig. Craig can be followed at Craig Allen FNP. I can be followed at some corner man. The fight has been stopped. We'll see you next week. Craig, say something witty. If you want a prelim fight, Malcolm Gordon's fighting Denise Bondar coming up soon. I can't wait to break that one down. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. See you next week or see you next time. Peace.